Hello, welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from The Lancet Neurology to go with our April 2021 issue. I'm Stephanie Becker. This month, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anne McGregor, specialist in headache and women's health at St Bartholomew's Hospital, whose review of menstrual migraine is published in our issue this month. Professor McGregor, welcome. Thank you. Perhaps we could first start off by you telling us a bit about what menstrual migraine is. The simplest way of describing it, first of all, is is to be clear that the term menstrual migraine is just a descriptive term. And it's used to describe perimenstrual migraine attacks. So migraine attacks occurring starting around the first day of menstruation, so a few days before and a few days into menstruation. It should be restricted to women whose attacks have more than a chance association with menstruation, but that, that the waters have been a bit muddied in that respect. And one of the aims of the paper that we've written is to really try and, and, and clarify the term a little bit better. So you'll be aware that it's not defining the pathophysiology. It's literally really only defining the timing of the attack. So we're aware that there can be a number of different events that are occurring that can be associated with menstrual migraine. Okay, so on the topic of timing, how do menstrual migraines differ from non-menstrual migraines? In women who are defined with um, perimenstrual attacks occurring more than by chance, those Perimenstrual attacks are more severe, last longer in duration, are less responsive to treatment than attacks within those same women that are occurring at other times of the cycle. And so how common of a problem is menstrual migraine? If you take women overall, then about 50% of women who are seeking help for their migraines will report a link between migraine and and menstruation. However, we're aware that uh, self-reporting can very much overestimate the true association. And the prevalence will vary really depending on the population studied and the definition used. So studies suggest that overall about 25% of women in in a general population will be experiencing menstrual migraine, but up to about 70% of women attending headache clinics. It's also a condition that changes depending on where a woman is during her reproductive lifetime. So we see it in its natural state to be much more prevalent during perimenopause and improve with increasing time following the last menstrual period. But younger women can be experiencing menstrual migraine in relation to the withdrawal bleed or the hormone-free interval of combined hormonal contraception as well. It depends on how strict you wish to use the term menstrual migraine and if you can still use menstruation to to include withdrawal bleeding, which is another bit of a confusion that we have within the terminology that we're, we're using. What do we know about the underlying mechanisms of menstrual migraine? It would almost be better to say what don't we know <laughs> rather than <laughs> what do we know, because 
despite menstrual migraine being first described even by Hippocrates, who who recognised that there was this association, we actually know remarkably little because it's such an under-researched area. So one factor that we're aware of is an individual woman's increased susceptibility to what we describe as oestrogen withdrawal. And it's important to put this into context in the sense of like all migraine triggers, there is nothing abnormal about uh, this event. So you can't measure any changes in oestrogen levels. You can't measure you know, any significant differences as far as we can see from, from women who don't experience menstrual migraine. But we do know that a group of women at a certain stage of their reproductive life for some reason or another yet to be identified, become susceptible to the drop in oestrogen during the natural cycle in the late luteal phase of of the menstrual cycle that then can be associated with increase in the prevalence of migraine at that time and these longer duration attacks that are occurring at this stage of menstruation. They can also experience a very similar event uh, when they're younger as part of the natural drop or the drop in in ethanol estradiol that occurs during the hormone-free interval of combined hormonal contraception with a further drop if the hormone-free interval has been long enough to allow natural estrogen levels to rise. They can then get a second natural estrogen withdrawal migraine about a week into restarting the combined hormonal contraceptive pills. Then there's another bit of an elusive one, which is, can you count unscheduled bleeding as being menstrual migraine in the, in the way that uh, it is defined? So can we then also include women who experience migraine more than expected by chance associated with unscheduled bleeding? with contraceptive or other hormonal methods for HRT, for example. So you can see just from the extent, this this breadth of different events, that this is a really big area that needs to be honed down to be much more specific to each of these potential things that are currently under the umbrella group of menstrual migraine. So how can menstrual migraine be managed? There are two main approaches, but whichever approach you follow, it has to be based on a diagnosis of menstrual migraine in the first place. And we really need the woman to be keeping very careful diaries to help with this because it is so often overestimated uh, within a woman's mind. So diaries, you can very clearly see without doing any statistical analyses whether there is a more than chance association. And on that basis, you then need to clarify, first of all, how significant a problem are these attacks for her? So it may be that just by ensuring that acute or symptomatic treatment is optimised, right drug, right dose, right time, etc., that may give her sufficient control. 
Secondly, if she has a lot of non-menstrual attacks as well, then if she's needing preventative treatment, standard prophylactic strategies should be uh, the first consideration without even considering any uh, hormonal association. Once those attacks have been removed, the non-hormonal ones, and there continues to be troublesome disabling menstrual attacks that are not controlled effectively with symptomatic treatment, then you might want to be thinking about options to specifically treat those attacks or prevent those attacks, which may include things like perimenstrual prophylaxis. But more often than not, many of these women will also be needing management of menstrual disorders, or they may be needing contraception as well, in which case we will consider strategies that will help those other disorders as well that can also help the migraine. So it really depends very much on identifying the needs of each individual woman and then targeting the treatment options that we have available to her specific needs. And the title of your review says that menstrual migraine is a distinct disorder needing greater recognition. What aspects of menstrual migraine are most in need of more attention and how would you like to see the field move forward? I think one of the things that we need to to deal with with more attention is just actually in the first place recognising that women do have a greater need with their migraine and that much of that need relates to hormonal changes. So you can understand that in a field that is essentially a, a neurological field, we need to be working much more with hormonal specialists as well to try to uncover what these specific pathophysiological events uh, are in relation to menstrual migraine. But to even begin with that, we need to have a much more unambiguous research definition than the one that we currently have. So the current one does not really exclude a chance occurrence. It should be that we should be defining menstrual migraine as attacks of which the first day starts on or within two days before the onset of menstruation and within the first three days of bleeding, not just any day of migraine that can occur within that time. We also need to ensure that we are uh, excluding uh, just a chance occurrence so that it needs to be more than a chance association. And we also need to consider what do actually mean by the term menstruation because a migraine that occurs in association with a natural menstrual cycle, there are a number of different hormonal events compared to those that are occurring in the withdrawal bleed or associated with the withdrawal bleed of combined hormonal contraception or with unscheduled bleeding associated with progestogen-only methods. And if we mix all these things together, we're going to really not be able to clarify what's happening with the actual pathophysiology. And I think that's where people have got confused, is it's it's got too mixed up. We then also need to be considering other mechanisms as well. So 
we know that there is a potential association between natural menstruation and heavy, painful periods in some women that appears to be related to prostaglandin release. So a completely separate potential mechanism from that due to estrogen withdrawal. And I'm sure there are many, many more that yet need to be explored. But if we don't start off with an interest in it, and we don't start off with unambiguous research definitions, all of the rest of it uh, will become just just lost in <laughs> a never-ending um, muddle of research. You can read Professor McGregor's review online now at thelancet.com. Thank you to Professor McGregor, and thank you for listening to this episode of In Conversation With. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With The Lancet Neurology wherever you usually get your podcasts.